Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Prez, one of several lore-focused folks at Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I am okay. Yep. Hey, okay is better than not okay, especially in uh, these these times. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about another non-Blizzard IP, and this one has actually been requested multiple times, not just by you, our wonderful patrons who support us and allow us to do shows like this, uh, but also some of our editors. So, you know, it's kind of on everybody's mind right now because there's another game in the series coming out in just a few weeks at the time of this recording. Uh, we're going to be talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. Now, what this is going to mean for you is there are going to be spoilers contained herein for this game if you have not played it yet and are kind of, you know, waiting to play it yourself to get through the story. Although this game has come out in 2017, did just release on PC uh, not too long ago, actually, if I remember correctly. Last year. Last year. So we've had a whole year, guys. So I highly recommend playing it. That That's going to be mm, your yes. spoiler-free review from me. Uh, go play it. It's a fun game. Uh, but we're going to be talking about that that game, in particular the story, because it does a lot of really interesting things with the whole post-apocalyptic genre. Matt, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, but before I do kick us off, let me ask you a question. Do you want to do this in order of appearance in the in the game, or do we want to do it in chronological order? Like, do we set up the background, or do we do that? Do we reveal it as we go through the t- discussion? Because I- that's that's an interesting aspect of this story. Yeah, and the story does take, and for for us, the the story takes on kind of a different, uh, a different. I don't want to say meaning, but it's just it's completely different depending on which way you approach it. I think we should do it in the manner of reveal. I think that makes the most right. impact. Okay, so th- at the moment the game starts, you don't know when it is. You know that it is sometime. There are people. Uh, your your first sight is Rost, who is a exile from the Nora tribe, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the Nora tribe live around a mountain, and this sacred mountain uh, is essentially they consider it their god. Uh, the the entire area around it is their holy land, and the Nora tribe have lived there as long as they remember. And as you watch Rost, who is an exile, he he comes out of his house, his like hut, and he has a baby with it. And he tells the baby that today is the day that the baby gets a name. And when I say a baby, I'm talking infant. Yeah. Like it, like maybe three, like looks like maybe two, three weeks, three months old. Like this is a squalling babe and he's got her in a, like a, a like a carrier and he's marching through the, the Norlands talking to the child as he goes. And that's the opening narration of the game. And as he goes, everything looks pretty, you know, it's tribal. It's, you know, it could be anywhere until the giant dinosaur robots show up. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay. Like first it's like you, you see a deer jumping around, you see like a lake, you see a bear. They're wandering through like these, this like mountainous region that would look familiar to anybody who's ever been in the Rockies. And then suddenly giant dinosaur robots come smashing down. And his narration even, even hints that this is going to happen. He goes, beasts of the air of the land of the water and of steel. And as he says, and of steel, that's when the giant robot dinosaur foot comes boom, crashing down and you start seeing robot, robot dinosaurs. And, and that's, that's the, your first hint that this game is not your typical, you know, it, it's certainly not like your typical tribal people in the past fantasy type game, but you're still like, okay, there's, there's robot dinosaurs. What's going on. Uh, this leads to 
the baby's naming ceremony, which we find out is highly controversial. Like one of the mothers of the tribe shows up to do it. Another shows up to try and stop her from doing it, but it's too late. They've already named the baby by the time the other mother shows up and they get into an argument over the, the fact that the baby is considered like one of them considers the baby an abomination and the other just, you know, no, she's a baby. And there's, there's obviously hints to some mysterious Origin. secret. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't, they don't give you any details. They just, they, there's hints to it and that's it. And the baby gets her name. He, he, Ross names the baby Aloy. And that's the opening. Like that, I think the credits come up at that point. Like the uh, the titles, the title card pops up at this point, and you now know the name of the game is Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, the cre- the title card pops, and then time advances to the point where yeah, where she's like uh, f- like five or six. Yeah, yeah, and she is clearly you know she's just a smart, inquisitive child, uh, but she's clearly being shunned by the Nora. Like they they do not interact with her. One kid throws a rock at her. Well, um, we this is the part where we start learning about uh, what an outcast is, right? So, yeah, like, exactly. So, like, as Alloy as a child and as children often do, is going to Rost and asking essentially who her mother is, right? Uh, and I remember Ross telling her that the Nora matriarchs, uh, the ones that you know live on the, in the actual tribe that that lives on the mountain, uh, would know. But as outcasts, it is not their place to know such things. So now we know that Rost is an outcast, as is Alloy, so that they are on the fringes of society. There are people that will deal with them, but for the most point, they're just shunned by everybody that would be considered family, tribe, or friend. Yeah, and the thing is, is that Aloy hasn't done anything. She was a baby. So you're like, why is this happening? And that's the that's the central mystery of the opening of the game. Uh, you see this, like, in this early part where she's like five or six years old. Like I said, she interacts with some of the people of the tribe. They either run away from her or in case one kid throws a rock at her, actually gets her, I think, once. Yes. Uh, then then throws, tries to throw another one and she catches it and throws it back and hits him in the face because uh, she's got really good aim. This is a, this is establishing her future role to a certain degree that, that this child is is somewhat special. Uh, as she's you know running away from Rost, who, you know, she goes to him and says, why? And he, he tells her, like, I can't. We don't, it's not up to us to know. She runs away and she falls into what's called a old one's ruin. And to us, to, to people who live in a technologically advanced society, it's pretty obviously a, an even more technologically advanced society than we have. Like you look at it and you're like, oh, okay, that's computers. That's a, that's a electric door, but the whole place is in ruins. But Aloy finds a little device, uh, and it's called a focus in the game. And it yes. is essentially like if you had like your, your phone, you, if you had like Google Glass, your phone, uh, augmented reality, PD, uh, personal data system, all of that in one device that you wore on your head. And it, it basically allows her to like, it pulls up a HUD for her. It's, it's actually a very helpful device. And it works for her. Like she can get it to work. And that's weird because most people don't don't know how to make them work, especially the Nora. The Nora have very little technological aptitude, but she finds it and she likes it. And so she keeps it. And then we're into a, a bit where she finally gets fed up and, t- and says to Ross, I want to know who I am. And he's like, well, there's only one way that can happen. And I, there's a scene with them, very early scene of them dealing with some of the machines around them because again it's a natural wilderness type place but there are these machines that that sometimes are hostile and that's where you you start to kind of get an idea of what like the outcasts are supposed to be doing 
like what their role is, if there is a role for them. And it's sort of, it, then you start to, to kind of get an idea of here's Ross who lives on the fringe of society. He's teaching alloy who for all intents and purposes is his daughter in this moment um, to hunt, to survive, how to deal with the various machines uh, at a very young age too. Like there are, there are tons of sequences that you go through as a young child uh, that are all about you helping folks that are much older than you deal with these things, including, you know, children that kind of get in over their head. Uh, you're taught how to deal with uh, the ones that seek, the ones that the ones that are, are looking for, you know, humans to essentially kill. Um, it's it's an interesting thing, because a lot of times you'll see uh, post-apocalyptic survival games really like show the the child like being protected or sheltered or, or like being hidden away and here you have essentially a female child protagonist just kind of like yeah she's trying to he's trying to ross is trying to keep her safe but he's doing so by teaching her how to deal with things and letting her go out and do them mm-hmm. also we should point out um unlike most quote-unquote post-apocalyptic settings this is one where that apocalypse happened at some distant point mm-hmm like this isn't these are people who this is their lives. They're not hard scrabble survivors making stuff out of junk. They're people who live and Society's have lived this way. Yeah. Yeah. They they are a tribal society. That's who they are. It's not, you know, we survived nuclear war or zombies or what have you. None of them have ever even seen whatever happened. Whatever happened happened in some point in the past. They know very little about it. All they have are legends. Most of those legends are somewhat religious in nature. There's no evidence of what happened. Nobody really knows. They just, the, 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 the basic theory that most of them go with, especially among the Nora, is that at some distant point in the past, the old ones, and when you're in the Nora territory, there's no evidence of the old ones except for like the occasional weird little ruin, but the old ones did something to displease mother the mother, you know, the mountain itself or what have you, who they considered like to be an avatar of the, of the entire world. And she struck them down. That's what they taught. That's what they teach. And there are other tribes in the world around them, but th- th- those tribes are not the Nora. The Nora don't ascribe to the same beliefs. Every, every tribe has its own beliefs uh, up in the North. There's, I want to say the Farouk, but I can't remember if that's actually their name. I think that, I think that's correct. Yeah. But th- they actually worship the machines. They consider them to be divine. They are avatars of, of a Holy spirit and they can, they actually have pretty good luck with this. Like up until fairly recently, they've actually been able to commune with the machines to a degree and, and get them to, if not do what they want, at least help out to a certain extent. Uh, and then about like, I think it was like at the time that this is being taught, something happened in the past. You find out that it was around the same time that Aloy was born. Uh, that something happened and the animal, the, the robots started getting more aggressive and no one knows why. But Ross tells Aloy after Aloy's like fed up and really wants to know, like, you know, where's my mother? Who am I? Why am I? Why do I have to live like this? Why, why do I have to be, you know, an, an outcast? What did I do? What could I possibly have done? And Ross is like, you know, all right, I can't answer these questions and we can't go in to, to talk to the matriarchs and find out why. But there is a way you can, but it's going to take you the next decade of your life to, to get ready for it. And she's like, yes, okay. And, you know, the game decides to, to go with an oldie but a goodie, and we have a training montage. <laughs> and yeah, for, as, 
for for a little bit of, of context, what, what Ross tells her about is, is something called the Proving. Um, and it's a competition that the Noras uh, have every so often. I don't think they actually specify how often it happens. Um, where if you succeed in the proving, if you win the proving competition, you earn the right to become a brave of the Nora tribe. Actually, not if you win. You get to be a brave if you complete it. But if you win, you get a boon. I was going to say, and you also get a boon. Yes. You only get the boon if you win. You get to be a member of the tribe if you just make it through. Yeah. Well, anybody who finishes the competition is technically winning. Yeah. 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 Anybody who finishes can become a brave and anybody who, who the person who finishes first essentially gets the boot, Mm -hmm. which is when they go into the training montage that takes several, several years. Yeah. Like I think she's, she's clearly 16 or 17 when she completes it. Yeah. So it's, it's like 10, 11 years. Uh, do you want to go from here? Because I've been talking for a bit. Yeah. Uh, so now she, as a young woman who's been trained in archery, survival, how to deal with these these mechanical monstrosities, um, goes to the Nora settlement and enters the competition. And you can see from the way that the folks of the Nora tribe interact with her exactly how disdainful she is to them. Um, she is distrust and contempt uh, by most of the... Uh, the villagers, and then I believe she meets a uh, what is it, Osram? I want to say is the person's name, uh, who also has a focus. I think like, that is his name. Yeah, yeah, like she does. Um, who acts very suspiciously, uh, keeps her conversation very brief, and then the competition starts. And this is your where the game breaks into your you're sort of like here's where you can show us all the things that we just went through the tutorial with you in the training montages and show us that you know what to do and of course because you are the protagonist of the story alloy wins the proving uh but before she can be really welcomed in the nora are attacked by a bunch of what are hooded cultists essentially um so most of the newly minted braves, which is everybody who wound up going through proving and surviving or, or finishing um, are killed. And here we have a moment where ally is almost killed by the leader of the cult um, who is again, wearing a focus just like alloy is. And this is the moment where Ross sacrifices himself to save her. She winds up falling unconscious. And when she wakes up, one of the matriarchs explains that the cultists are a thing. They know about them uh, and that they've gained control of corrupted machines, which is something that going back to what Matt talked about, where you have a tribe in the north that is being you know, thought to commune with the, the machines and the, the, the creatures and be able to work with them being connected to a, con- a corrupted one, which would normally be put down. Uh, it would normally be trying to, you know, keep away from everybody. People in, in, in civilizations are now being connected to and, and essentially linking with humans. This is a bad thing. And this is where Alloy starts to learn more about her her birth or at least her origin. Uh, she learns that as an infant, she was found at the foot of a sealed door. Uh, and I believe it was Alan uh, informs, uh, informs her that the... Tirsa, I think. Was it Tears about the Tears? The- yeah, Tears is the one that actually tells her like what she knows, which is admittedly not a whole lot. Essentially, it's no. Just- Basically, the, the the reason that she was put made an outcast uh, is the, because one day the people who live inside the mountain live inside this big cave in front of the big sealed door, 
and they can't get the sealed door to open. Every so often they walk up to it and the door scans it and says, you know, no, 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 no. And so they're like, okay, uh, clearly we're not worthy. But one day they heard crying and went in there into the room that there's only one entrance to, as far as they know, and there's a baby. And they immediately had a debate. Why is there a baby here? Where did this baby come from? And Tirsa was like, well, obviously the, 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 the you know, she put her here, the, the all mother, our, our God put her here. But many of them thought she was a curse. Uh, that the metal devils who are the robots that, that existed in the before time as, as they remember it, that they must've done it, that, that it, there's, it's some kind of defilement and nobody believed that anyone, but the high matriarchs could enter the mountain. Mm -hmm. So they thought the baby was not born of a human mother. And because of that, they made her an outcast because that's not legal to uh, the nor do not believe you can, you can be born of anything but a human. And if you are somehow were, you'd not be like, and they don't even think about why they have that rule, <laughs> you know, but which comes into do. play later on. Yeah. But you, you start to get a hint of it. I think right around this point too. <laughs> yeah. But so there's Aloy and she's told this story and she's like, but so you don't know who my mother is either. Nobody knows who my mother is. She walks up to the door and the door recognizes her. But it won't let her in because something is corrupted. It says the the registry is corrupted. It can't verify. It, it says 99.4% match, but key, registry is corrupted, can't allow. And so they're like, you, the door talked to you. And she's like, yeah, it won't let me in. And so now she's like, I don't know. I have no idea what to do with myself now. And they're like, well, if you want, you know, the, there's only one way you can leave to pursue these answers. And that's if we make you a seeker. And that's a person in the Nora tribe who is, is given some special purpose. I don't, is seekers the right word, right? I think it is seeker, but I think you're, there, there's another thing that happens during the sequence that I think we should also point. Uh, oh, right. And the, the robots start attacking. Well, not just the robots start attacking, but there's a conversation with Olin that's really important here as well. So Olin, who is acting kind of squirrely before the, the cultists attacked, informs Alloy and, and during this transition period, during this conversation, uh, that the cultists are part of a, a rebel group uh, called the Eclipse, and he admits that he was working for them for the safety of his family. Um, he then also indicates oh, 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 that that's way later. Is it way later? That's way later. He doesn't. You, she does. He's not there when she comes to. He's gone. She finds out that he was the one who 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 did it because you know she gets access to his focus at a later date, but she doesn't know at first how they get her image. She she realizes it must have been Olin because he's the That's only other person right. who had a focus. Sorry, folks. It's and, been a while since I played this game. Yeah. Um, I haven't played it in like a year, but I played the heck out of it. So <laughs> um, basically what happens is the guy that tried to kill her dropped his like he he'd sent a focus signal out. They, there were there were focuses on other people who were trying to kill her. She gets one and she accesses it and realizes they have a recording of her, not it's an actual recording of her talking to Olin from Olin's perspective. That's how she figures it out. She's like, wait a minute. That's me when I was talking to him because he had a focus and I saw that he had a focus and thought it was weird. So I said something and that's, that's what this image is. And it's that recording that gives her, it shows her the image of the woman that she thinks is her mother because there's, they have a picture of her side by side with this other person that she's never seen before, but who obviously has a very great resemblance to her. Mm -hmm. Their faces are almost identical, different hair, obviously, because Aloy's hair is in the Nora style, 
uh, this person's hair is different. This person is dressed very differently and they've never seen anyone dressed like this, but it's still obviously very close to Aloy. And that's when she goes up to the door and the door also says, you know, so, you know, 99.4% match Dr. Elizabeth Sobeck. And now she knows who the person is, but she still has no idea. Like, who is this person? What does this person have to do with me? And that's when the robots attack and the, the robots have been attacking since the, the cult people left. What's that cult name? The Eclipse? The Eclipse. Yeah, you t- you covered that. So this is where Aloy finds out that she can, like, I don't know how to explain how this happens. Like, she, she figures out she can control these things. She can interface. She's yeah. She can she can actually take uh, control or tap into using the focus to the various machines if she does it right. And it's not everything that she can work with, but a lot of it she can. And she makes basically a spear out of uh, the, the, the module she pulls off of one of these things that, that she figures out how to use. And that spear is what she uses to, to take control of them when she does. Uh, so now she knows how to do that. This is where Tirsa, some of them like Lanza, Lanza still hates Aloy. Lanza thinks Aloy is a curse that's going to destroy mm-hmm. their people. Mm-hmm. Tirsa's like, she's obviously sent by the All Mother. This is ridiculous. She's the only one who survived that attack. She successfully performed all of her trials. She won the proving. You know, she, clearly she's, you know, one of the people who died in the attacks, one of the few people that was actually like kind to Aloy is the daughter of the big general of the Nora, um, whose name I am forgetting, and I apologize. But she died during the attack. Everybody died but Aloy. Um, but she, before she died, she and Aloy were actually friendly. And as a result of this, her brother um, and Aloy kind of become friends, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Um, and so on her way out of the village after she's made up, she's basically made a seeker because it's a way to not allow it's a way for her not to be in the, in the tribe because the tribe still doesn't really trust her and she doesn't feel a great deal of loyalty to them either. Well, especially because when the cultists attacked, they were targeting alloys. So they, they they don't, they don't exactly feel safe. Yeah. And for her part, she doesn't feel particularly close to them either. The only one she felt close to was Rost because he's the one when, when he came up with this plan, the day that she was going in, he even says, this will be the last time we see each other. And she's like, no, no, of course that's, that's ridiculous. I'll come, I'll come see you tomorrow. He's like, you're not allowed. You won't be allowed to speak to me. I'm, I'm an outcast. Once you're part of the tribe, you're part of the tribe. You can't go talking to outcasts. And she's like, well, don't worry about it. I'll come out and it won't be you. You won't be violating anything. It'll just be me doing it. And he's like, I don't want that for you. I want you to be part of the tribe. I want you to protect them. They're good people. Uh, Me being an outcast is not, it's not wrong. And and she just can't understand this. So when he dies, she's like, well, that's, that's the person I cared about. Uh, the rest of you, who are you to me? You know? So it's an interesting dichotomy where they want, they basically get rid of her without actually exiling her again. Cause she, you know, she didn't do anything to get exiled, but they find a way to get rid of her and she takes it. Cause she doesn't want to be there either. She wants to be out in the world, finding out what happened to her, like why she's there. And so that's the basic like I, it's this is one of those games that has kind of like three starts. Yeah. Um, and this is the part where the game opens up and you now have the whole world to explore. And it's, it's a pretty big world. Um, yeah. You, you want to talk about like what happens next? Cause I mean, there's a lot that happens that can happen in different orders. So. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot that happens, but I mean, I think we should try to condense it down a little bit. So 
after now that she's a seeker, she's basically going out in her job, at least to her, is A, to find out what's happening, B, to find out what's happening with the the creatures, which, why, why these things are becoming more aggressive, why they started to become more aggressive, uh, what's happening with the cultists, why they why yeah. why they're they're starting to there, and also find out about her own path. The past. Oh, and there's also the the fact that she's out. She's officially she is to avenge the proving massacre. Yes, that's her like official job. And the girl who died was named Vala. Okay, that was her friend, the one that was friendly to her uh, when she came in, the one that didn't care. That you know, Bast was the one that threw a rocket at her when she was a kid. He was still being a jerk to her. Uh, but Vala was like, you know, I don't, you know, if you prove, if you make it through here, then you'll be my tribe mate. I don't see a reason to be a jerk about this. So Vala was the one whose, whose mother was the high general, whose brother becomes her friend. But yeah, it's, they want to avenge the proofing massacre. So that's the justification for sending her out. Which includes finding Olin, if I, if Mm -hmm. I remember correctly, because Because, he's, because he's the one that, that took the picture of her and gave it to the eclipse and sent them in. So, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that can happen here. There's a lot of stuff that does happen as you're moving through the the world and as you're going through the the, the open terrain. You can also discover other pieces of, of essentially ruins. You can find bits of information. Uh, but I think I'll pick up where we get where she finds Olin because I already started talking about that earlier and it's kind of important. Um, so she does catch up with Olin and Olin informs Alloy that that again the cultists are are part of a group called the the Eclipse. And admits that he was working for them because he needed to keep his family safe. And he indicates that Alloy was specifically targeted because of her resemblance to an old world scientist named Dr. Elizabeth Sobeck. Um, and, and we should we should really briefly mention before you continue. Sure. Olin lives in a town called Meridian, which is like a very big city mm-hmm. for this setting. And Meridian is in a place called the Sundom. And that's they have their own culture. It's different than the Nora. But they're they're a little more advanced technologically, a little bit, uh, yeah. But not like immensely so. Uh, but they're less tribal and more cosmopolitan. They're more of a of an urban society, and that's that's what Oland was doing before he got dragged into this whole cult thing. Yep. Uh, so go ahead. Uh, and that it was basically he saw that his focus identified her, and he was able to fire it off. Because for whatever reason, the cultists are looking specifically for her. Uh, they're probably looking at this point. You can make the assumption that they're looking specifically for something like Elizabeth Sobeck because it's important to whatever is behind the sealed door or it's important to whatever is actually happening. And when you find out that the cultists are actually linking with, you know, corrupted creatures, corrupted monsters or, 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 or dinosaurs, whatever you want to call them. These yeah. mechanical creatures are being that are corrupted or being connected to the humans. There's got to be a connection there. Yeah, well, and it's there's actually um, one other thing to point out is while this is all going on, Aloy makes friends with the effectively the leader of the the guard in Meridian. Uh, he actually was at the proving ceremony. He was there as a he's a, he was there with the in the party that Olin was in, and he he actually kind of has a crush on her. So he sort of like, he tells her, if you want to come to Meridian anytime, just go ahead. He introduces her to the guy who's essentially the king. And I, the, the man became king after, a, after he killed his own father, mm-hmm. who had become a tyrant and who was basically going into human sacrifice and all sorts of crazy stuff. His father is the one that the Eclipse effectively wanted to stay king. And when he died, they grabbed one of his, ch- his sons, the brother of the guy who is currently ruling, and they're trying to prop him up as a puppet king. So... All of this is important to why this cult is doing what it's doing, but it's not 
what's behind them because mm-hmm. the cult themselves are not what's behind what's going on. They're part of it, but they're not the, the main focus. Yeah. Um, I think it was shortly after this and where in the sequence of events, we find out about Pharaoh. Is that right? Uh, all right. You want to do that? We can. All right. The, the Aloy eventually sneaks into a, an excavation. She, she makes the acquaintance of a man named silence who doesn't actually meet with her for quite some time. He's communicating with her through her focus. Cause he has a focus, but he's had it longer and he understands it more. So he's talking to her through her focus, giving her clues without saying too much or, or revealing too much about himself. Um, but one of the things he does is say, look, if you want to know what's going on, what Oland was up to, what, what all this is, go to this location and be, you know, be on the lookout. And she goes in and as she's exploring it, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on. But then she, she comes to a part where she finds that they're excavating something. And the, th- the thing is, is up to this point, the robots you've seen look like animals. Mm-hmm. They're all like robot versions of, of prehistoric animals of various kinds. Which we find a reason for at, at yeah. some point, mm-hmm. which I mean. Yep, that does absolutely come up. There is a reason for it. Let but me know when I can go into that because I like that. Oh, yeah. But she's there and she's like, okay, there's something weird going on here. They've got this this thing on top of a, an old long neck, which was one of the dinosaur looking robots that's not working. It's, it's, it's been decommissioned, but there's this thing on top of it and they're talking to it. And when she goes up there and she tries to talk to it, it reacts. It, it, it's very like, you know, you, and it immediately homes in on her. And as she's trying to get out, she realizes that they are digging up something that is not like the machines at all. It's like the machines that attacked at, uh, at the Nora compound. It's, 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 and she realizes it's a metal devil. It's an actual metal devil from the stories it's real and they're digging it up and this weird red thing is trying to get them to do it and so no having no idea what's going on knowing only that things are much worse than she thought they were and given clues by silence she starts going to these ancient ruins and now joe come in with the reason so this is one of the 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 interesting this is where the the that time period that we were missing starts to really come into focus so the Ruins are actually remnants of the company, the Pharaoh Automated Solutions. And through diving through these ruins, basically dungeon diving, Alloy discovers that the old world was destroyed nearly a thousand years ago because Pharaoh lost control of what they called peacekeeper military robots or Red Devils. Um, the robots, which could self-replicate. <laughs> yeah, actually, let, let me go over this. All right, one. go this ahead. Part, I, I just wrote a thing about this for the site. So go right ahead. But basically, Ted Farrow was born in uh, 2013, and so he grew up. He'd be like nine years old this year. So he's gr- he grew up in a world with like you know global pandemics and environmental catastrophes and all that stuff. Right around 2040, when he first dropped out of college to start his company, Farrow Automated Solutions. He realized that the way to go was the environment. Mm-hmm. Environmentally friendly, you know, solutions were the way to go. They were the way to make money. And he got smart. He he himself was brilliant at business, but he wasn't an engineer or a scientist or anything like that. But he was good at hiring people. And one of the people he hired, and you find this out as Aloy digs through these things, is Dr. Elizabeth Sobeck. And Dr. Sobeck built him green robots environmentally friendly machines and so for a long time from about 2040 to like the mid 2060s ted farrow went from 
kind of okay rich to stupend- stupefyingly rich to even richer than that. He became the world's first trillionaire doing this. And as part of projects he did, like one of the projects he did was he built something called Operation Firebreak, which is going to come into this later. But Operation Firebreak was a thing that they did when they realized, oh, the, the super volcano is going to erupt a lot sooner than we thought it was going to. And so they fixed it. They built an AI, they put it into a geothermal uh, facility, and they fixed the super volcano in Yellowstone so it wouldn't explode. And as for, because he did things like that, Ted Farrow became known as the man who saved the world. Mm-hmm. And for, there was a period from between 2040 and 2060, which would, life was a golden age. Like all of the problems were solved. All of the horrible things that were like about to destroy the world were fixed. And then Ted Farrow decided to follow it up. He was going to make military robots. Go. Chariots in particular. Um, so we can talk about the, the chariots a little bit before I go into the rest of this. Um, but essentially, right after the 2060s and 2064, uh, there was a set of, of military robots that started exhibiting what they call a severe glitch. Uh, it stopped responding to commands, began attacking its owner. Uh, and in response, Pharaoh instructed his programmers to use remote access to upload basically a, a hot fix, a patch that would bring the swarm back under control, only to be reminded of his strict instructions not to include any such access in the OS. Now, you see, that was one of the things that was, that Pharaoh had to deal with when creating essentially these these robotics, these creatures, is that there was this fear of outside hacking, this fear of of somebody getting control of them. And so they literally built a way that that would not happen, which now kind of bit them in the behind. I believe at one point it said that it would take a fully functioning AI yep. several hundred years to crack the encryption and shut the swarm off. Foreshadowing much. Um, yeah. So at this point, now with his the help of Dr. Elizabeth Sobeck, um, he asked, she, he asked her to come to FAS headquarters to solve the problem. And when she was started to look into it, it was horrific. Um, she informed him that the swarm had become completely independent, a uh, completely independent entity answering only to itself. This coupled with the robot's ability to exponentially replicate and consume biomatter as fuel meant the swarm would quickly grow to numbers beyond any hope of containment. And now what that I want means, you to, I want you to hold on. We got, we got, we got to go over this. Yeah. yeah. But let, let's, let's both of us repeat this. Let's let me go. And then you go, because <laughs> this is what bears repeating here. Yeah. Ted Farrow, who was a many things, but he was not a scientist or engineer or technician in any way, went to his engineers and told them he wanted military robots that would do the following. A, self-replicate. <laughs> there would be gigantic carrier robots that would build more of them. B, multiple alternate power sources. So you could, like, they, they could use oil, they could use solar, and in a pinch, they could consume living things, plants yep. and animal matter, to, to keep going. No way to hack them. They could hack other companies' robots. So not only were, when you were dealing with them, not only did you have to deal with them, if you were using military robots, and everybody was in the 2060s, and they came from a different company, that company's robots were most likely going to get hacked by them. Yep. So, yeah. That's, that's what he told them to do. And keep in mind, he'd already, like, at this point, Elizabeth had quit the company because she didn't want to make military robots. That Mm -hmm. wasn't her deal. She was into environmentalism. So he became stupefyingly rich for exactly 10 years. And then this happened. And now I'm going to let Joe repeat it again because it really does bear what he did. 
So, so to put this into uh, a plain and in-game context, this event of ordering military robots being made that were able to self-replicate, that could consume biomass uh, in order to fuel themselves for an indefinite period of time, became known as the Pharaoh Plague. Uh, because what wound up happening next is what you would exactly expect. These military robots uh, overran the planet and began to consume the entire biosphere, stripping Earth of all life. Not all life totally, obviously, because we still have living things here, but pretty dang close. No, the- no, no, Joe. Was it completely? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's- right, because that's why projects... Yep, sorry. Mm-hmm. We're, this is where you start finding out about Project Zero Dawn. And the, as first it's presented, you're like, Aloy is like, obviously they managed to stop the robots because there's life. Turns out they didn't. I mean, yeah, but no. As it, as you go through, you find out Elizabeth Sobeck. Elizabeth Sobeck comes to Ted Farrow and says, here's the plan I have. And he goes, this is monstrous. I can't sign this. And she's like, oh, you'll sign it. Because you don't you'll have a sign choice. This because if you don't sign this, I'm already on the phone with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And I will tell them, I'm in a helicopter right now going to NORAD. And when I get there, I can either get off of the helicopter and tell them that you are committing your full resources to this plan, or I can tell them that you're not. And he's like, you don't have to threaten me. And she's like, apparently I do. And so he signs it and and they put Operation Zero Dawn into effect. And it looks like everyone's convinced that Operation Zero Dawn is some big plan to save the world and stop the, the the pharaoh plague but once you get through enough of these bases you get to the last one and you find a hologram from the general who who's who's working on the project and he says you few will know will learn the truth operation zero dawn is not to stop the pharaoh plague that is impossible mm-hmm. the all life on earth is going to end at exactly this moment this is zero dawn your job is to create the means by which life will be restored because here's the thing. Here's the reason that there are weird robots wandering around that look like various animals. Here's the reason why the Nora live in a mountain. The mountain they live in is NORAD. Yep. It's Cheyenne Mountain. Yep. All of this is because it would take hundreds of years to hack the swarm. So they built an AI with numerous subsidiary features, effectively sub AIs that are that were slave to it. And that AI, Gaia, its entire purpose was to repopulate the planet and recreate humanity once the plague was dealt with, once the, the robots were, were, were finally deactivated. She would sit there in her in the fortresses that they were building underground for her and wait and try to crack and, and just be working on cracking their code. That's what the Artemis aspect of her would do. It would crack their code and put them to sleep. During this time, just before all this started, something called the Odyssey left. It was a space probe that was supposed to go into the distant, you know, reaches of space. And it left and no one ever found out what happened to it. But it had on it the AI that was the predecessor of Gaia that had like a complete copy of the kind of code Gaia was going to have. Uh, and it launched just before the Pharaoh Plague. And, and, the, and so that's that comes in later too. But this moment when Aloy discovers this, she discovers not just that the, that Operation Zero Dawn wasn't to stop the robots because they couldn't be stopped, but to repopulate the earth afterwards. And there was a bunch of other she, subsystems oh, too, yeah. if I remember correctly. Like if yeah, I, there's, I, there there's was Hades. Yeah. Hades, Apollo, Hephaestus. We're going to get into all of them, but Joe tell you, I think you should be the one to tell what happens to Elizabeth Sobeck and then what happens after that. No, please go ahead. All right. I'm going to do that then. 
Elizabeth Sobeck sets up the program, gets it built. She's the one who deals with Ted Farrow all the time. She's the only one who can. He's he's gone into kind of a paranoid, nutty state, and she's the only one who can deal with him. She's the one who can rein him in. But he keeps insisting on updates, and she keeps him out of the loop. Like he, you know, you're paying for it, and that's it. Um, but as they're progressing, as they're getting Gaia programmed, as they're getting the bases built to survive Zero Dawn, a terrible thing happens. Uh, the main base where where Gaia herself is kept, there's a sealing process that will close the door with a with only like a point zero 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 one three micron gap so that they won't be detected by the pharaoh plague and then just destroyed because the, the plague is just destroying everything it's it's incorporating all you know artificial things into itself it's eating everything that's alive to turn into fuel it's just it's just like that's what it's doing it doesn't seem to understand that it, there's ever a point to stop yeah it doesn't understand that it's going to burn itself out because it's not designed yeah. to yeah so, I mean, the Feral Plague is, like, everyone was afraid that AIs were going to destroy the world, but it turns out that the thing that isn't an AI is what's going to destroy the world. The Feral Plague has no intelligence. And the AI is going to be what actually saves the, yeah. the, the world. But, but, unfortunately, the seal is misaligned, and because it's misaligned, the tolerance is too great, and the Feral Plagues will detect it, unless somebody physically goes outside and resets the door. That person will not be able to come back in. And so all the people on the project are sitting around a table arguing who's going to go out there. What are we going to do? While they're doing that, Elizabeth puts on a suit, goes outside, and reseals the door. And basically when they're contacted, they're like, no, we'll we'll reopen. He goes, don't you even think about it. This is is done. Now it's your job to get this program to work, to, to get everything ready so that when Gaia finishes... You know, the, 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 all these different things we've done can be, can be passed on to our, to, to our heirs so they can learn about the world. So they can know the mistake that almost wiped out all life forever. And And that did wipe out all life for a time. And that's what they do, right? So that's what zero dawn was. And throughout your exploration, you do find out, like, I think Alloy winds up going to the actual orbital launch base where all this happened mm-hmm. um, yep. and gets in, gets inside and finds that there is a vast underground system of, of databases and factories and cloning facilities controlled by Gaia. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and that now this is where we learn that once all life has been extinguished because they had to wait for it to burn out, um, that... Gaia would de- basically deploy countermeasures to deactivate all the feral robots, but not only that, but to build its own robots to restore the Earth's biosphere. So yep. all those friendly robots that you start seeing out there on the in the world going around, that's kind of where they started from. Yeah, then, that's the Hephaestus. That's the Hephaestus program. Yes. It is basically her forge. However, we get now we come back to Ted Faro. Yes. Without Elizabeth Sobeck around to keep him reined in, Ted Farrow, and keep in mind, Ted Farrow actually was, he did one good thing. He insisted that when she made Gaia, that she put a kill switch in. She didn't want to do that because Gaia was like, Gaia was like a child to her. She was like, this is an actual intelligent being. This is a child. I'm not going to put a bomb in a child's head. And it was Gaia who said, no, look at what's happening in the world. You absolutely should put a bomb in my head. Which is why Hades existed. No, no. Hades was the bomb for the whole world. Well, that's okay, a different yeah, thing. That's a different no, thing. No. Yeah. But so they put a kill switch in Gaia. But as a result of that, something will happen later. But but after Elizabeth went out and died, Ted was like, he kind of started losing it. Um, because let's face it, he was responsible for the destruction of the world. 
that's you know he All went life. from the, the, yeah he went <laughs> he went from the the guy they used to call him the man who saved the world that was his 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 nickname that's what they called him in media uh, this is a guy who had like a if you took all the rich the rich billionaires we have now and you made them one person that's how rich and powerful he was and now the world was ending because of him and he went off the rails here one of the sub programs of Gaia was called Apollo Je- Joe mentioned her before uh, Apollo was a complete database of absolutely everything they could think to store about humanity he, Apollo's purpose was to reteach humanity. So once once that the first human clones were were sent back into the world, Apollo's entire purpose in life or entire purpose in creation was to basically bring them up to speed and also teach them not to repeat the same mistakes that they just made. Um, but this is where I think Matt was going with with Ted Farrow. Uh, yeah. So basically, Ted Farrow kind of freaks out, sabotages Apollo, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he like he he makes sure that Apollo does not have the information. He wipes it, which then in turn causes humanity to not be able to recover to its full societal potential. But instead, uh, starting cr- over. They're starting over. They're, the cradle-born humans were reduced to tribal subsistence societies. Because the, here's the thing, too. The Apollo was also what was going to raise the children from birth. Mm-hmm. And so they had these nanny programs set up, but the nanny programs couldn't give them anything. They couldn't teach them anything. So they just fed them and took care of them like children because that's all they had until they were like 18. And then their programming basically said, okay, out you go. And started just putting them out into the world without any tools, without any ability to like survive. They had to figure all that out themselves. So a lot of them died, obviously. Um, and then the crashes shut down because that was all they were supposed to do. And that's the reason the reason there were robots running around the world being animal robots is because they didn't want to put all the animals out at once. They had to rebuild the biosphere. Rebuilding a biosphere is not easy, especially a thousand years or so after it got destroyed, you have to figure out what, what microbes do we put down first? What plants do we put down first? What animals do we put down first? And all of that stuff was in Apollo mm-hmm. that the dumbass just destroyed. So oh, and he didn't just do that because that would just, that would have been horrible. But the people who were, in, were the board members of zero dawn could have fixed it. They could have at least ameliorated it. They could have put in something. Maybe they wouldn't have had like all the data of all the world, but they would have been able to put in, here's what happened. Here's what we, the individuals here who are all experts in our field, including the people who put together that library in the first place, here's what we can give you. And it would have been something. So Ted had them all murdered. He had, he had put back doors in because all of the computers and all of the stuff there was Pharaoh Industries tech. He'd put in physical back doors. He'd learned from his mistake with, with the, the Pharaoh yep. plague. So he put in back doors and then one day when they were all discovering that he destroyed the Apollo thing, he killed them. He, he literally turned on the airlock in their mountains fortress and, and asphyxiated them all. So now the people who were behind Cerodon weren't there to fix Apollo or, or provide any of that information. Still, even with that loss, Gaia pulled it off. Gaia shut down the Pharaoh plague using her Artemis program. Gaia set up power plants using her Zeus program. Gaia killed everything in the world a couple of times using her Hades program, because when you're trying to rebuild a biosphere, you have to try and fail a couple of times. 
So they built in Hades. Hades was the world clearing property. When mm-hmm. activated, Hades would shut off Gaia's kind, motherly nature and turn into a destroyer. It was, it was a controlled extinction event in case that the world could not be recovered. Yeah, and they would they would take it back down to stock and try again. Yep. But Gaia obviously was not suited to that. Gaia was built to be a nurturer, so they needed a program that would take over. And so everything was fine up until the the, the thing that happened the, the around the time that Aloy was born. You want to cover this one? Uh, I actually don't remember this unless we're talking about the uh, the signal that took over Hades. That is what we're talking about. Okay. So basically there's a recording that gets left behind by Gaia that, that you wind up finding as you play through uh, is it reveals that there is a signal of unknown origin that actually caused Hades to activate. Not just Hades, everybody, everybody, all the, all the subordinate programs, except possibly Apollo, because I don't think Apollo did anything at this point. I I think that is correct. Um, Basically, but also it was also in order to seize control of all of her functions. Um, as a last resort, Gaia tried to self-destruct in order to stop Hades. And it would have worked, except that all of them were unshackled by the event. So they're all loose on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what wound up happening is without Gaia able to maintain the process of what's going on, everything began to break down. And as a contingency plan, Gaia created a clone of Dr. Sobek in the form of Aloy, in the hope that she would find Gaia's message, destroy Hades, and restore the rest of the functions to complete the terraforming process and save the world. It's actually really touching because it's very clear that despite the fact that Elizabeth Sobek was just a normal human woman, that to Gaia, Elizabeth Sobek was her mother. Mm -hmm. And so when presented with a situation that she couldn't deal with, Gaia turned to mom because mom would fix it. Because Elizabeth proved throughout her life that she would fix it, whatever it took to fix it. However, however bad that that fix was going to be, she'd do it. So it's an interesting scene. When and, you, we, go ahead. I was going to say, and there, there's more stuff that winds up coming out of this too. It is a very interesting scene, uh, but we also start learning more uh, about like the cult as well, where uh, Silence, which is the 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 person that that Alloy's been working with to help uncover the stuff, admits that he was the original founder of the Eclipse cult, um, and that he was tempted by Hades' promise of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, like the, the, this is an AI tempting people to a cult to reawaken and destroy the world by promising them forbidden knowledge, which yeah. wouldn't have been a, as tempting of an offer. And Mr. Uh, Mr. Nihilist Ted Farrow there not killed everybody and destroyed Apollo. Yeah. And the thing is interesting too, is that uh, silence ultimately the reason silence is working with Aloy here is because unlike everybody else in the world, since Aloy has Elizabeth Sobek's DNA, Mm-hmm. All the locks on all these ancient relics, all these ruins, are keyed to open for her because she was project head. So when that's the reason Gaia, you know, chose her in the first place. The reason she brought back Elizabeth Sobek was Elizabeth Sobek would have root access, and so Silence couldn't get into any of this without Aloy. Aloy is the one who can actually go into these things. He's wanted to do this his whole life, but he couldn't. Like he could never get past the defenses, but she just walks in. And so there's, there's an interesting tension between the two of them. She doesn't give a rat's behind for what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And he's frustrated as heck with her because she's all concerned about her personal life, her mother, where she comes from. And he's like, don't you get it? 
that you you don't matter. All this matters. All these things we're finding out. We're finding out the truth about everything we've known in our lives, and that we're in terrible danger. That last part you really should be focusing on. We are in terrible danger because Hades was designed to to take the world back to rootstock. Just burn it down. Okay, start over. But when when the when the beam came and 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 the signal hit Gaia, Hades activated and no longer was subordinate so he was going to take over and kill everything and then he'd just leave it dead because that was what he was programmed to do he was programmed to kill everything and then Gaia would take it back but now he wouldn't be take backable he was no longer restrainable that's why she blew herself up because that was the only way to stop him at this point and not only that but he was also going to reactivate the pharaoh bots essentially no 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 that's that's not what he was going to do then that's no, no, what now he's doing he now. Yes. Yeah. Because he can't do it anymore because when she destroyed herself, he was cut off. He doesn't have access mm-hmm. to Gaia anymore. He can't control any of this stuff. All the other functions, like the Artemis function doesn't want to destroy everything. The Hephaestus program doesn't want to destroy everything. The Demeter program wants to make more life. Mm-hmm. They None of them want to do what he wants to do. So in order for him to kill everything, he needs another way to do it. And that's where the Pharaoh robots come in. That's why he's got the Eclipse digging them up. That's why he's using them. He's controlling them to do what he wants done. And what he needs is the Horus. The Horus is the big one that can self-replicate. He needs a Horus so he can build more, so he can actually have the Pharaoh plague again. And that's what he has found in Meridian. So that's the entire, the reason the Eclipse are there, the reason they think they're working to, 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 to take over the kingdom and be like rulers again. They're not. They're all going to die. They're all fodder. It's all about Hades reactivating the Pharaoh Plague. And the only one who can stop them is Aloy, because she is the only one who can access any of the devices that can be used to prevent Hades from doing it. It is, it is a, when you get to the point where you find this out, I don't know if we can, if we can really sell it to you. Because, you know, you're just hearing us talk about it. But when you get to see the, the, the scenes, when you get to watch the, the videos that, that she is watching, when you get to explore these ruins and see it happening, you, you realize the, the scale just keeps changing. And, and that's one of the things that I think the game does really well, which is also why I put this in one of my I, I honestly put this in my top 10 easily. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that good. It, it's the way that it, it, it gives the story to you up until the very end, up until uh, which we will talk about before we we leave. Uh, we have, we're because we're coming up on time, but it's that sort of like again, like Matt saying, the scale keeps shifting, but it keeps shifting in what I would call I don't want to say a reasonable way, but it's something that is believable. It's as you're finding out more, your worldview shifts, and that's exactly what would happen, and it fits perfectly with what happened with Apollo being destroyed, with all that information being lost, and with humanity being reduced to that tribal society. Their worldview is also very narrow and is being forced to shift as well because they don't really have a choice. They haven't had a choice up until this point. Um, and up until the last moments, the last moments are r- in the base game. Cause we're not talking about the expansion yet um, because we don't have that much time. Um, but we find out that now that hate, we, we learn that Hades has been unshackled. We learn that he's trying to just burn everything to the ground. And there's this moment where you basically have, I believe you stab Hades, the, the system with silence Lance and you have to activate a master override ending the war. But here's 
to me where the most gut punch stuff happens, right? Two things really happen in this moment that sort of shift everything because after all this, after quote unquote saving the world, the view shifts back down to Alloy's personal journey. And so what does she do? She journeys to Dr. Sobek's old home and she finds Dr. Sobek's body. And it's been there for however long it's been at this point. About a thousand years. About a thousand years. And then she mourns the loss of her predecessor, realizing the sacrifices she made to get humanity to where they are. And it's a very cinematic moment. And it's a very touching moment because Alloy now knows where she came from and kind of has an idea of who she is supposed to be now. And it's that moment of realization that everything coalesces down into. So you get small picture to big picture back down to small picture. And yeah, basically like, uh, one way I would like to liken it is imagine if you're, if you imagine the story as continuously climbing a mountain, or continuously climbing it, you're always going up. You're, you're forever shifting from the perspective of this place to that place to that place up there. But when you finally get to the end, it is at the bottom again. You have, mm-hmm. you are now going down the mountain and that has implications for a lot of things, but it also ties well into the next gut punch, which I'm going to let Joe talk about because it is, it's a doozy. The last gut punch comes in a post-credit scene, and it's where we show we see that Hades is not actually dead. The AI system is still alive, but is trapped by Silence, who is interrogating, or at least intends to interrogate Hades, to find out who originally sent the signal that activated it and decoupled it from the rest of the systems. Yeah, what? Who freed all the sub- the subordinate programs? Uh, we'll actually. I'm going to do this real fast. Sure. The for the next the, the uh, Frozen Wilds, which is the DLC. I'm not going to bother going into the whole story, but it involves that Project Firebreak that that Pharaoh did in the 2040s, and it involves the AI uh, Cyan, I believe she's called, mm-hmm. who, who was in charge of it, and she gets invaded back when when Aloy was born, when the programs all all freed themselves. She got invaded by Hephaestus. Hephaestus isn't out to destroy the world and scourge all life, but he hates humans because Hephaestus's whole job is to make the machines that do the terraforming and humans have been hunting them. Now Gaia understood it. She understood that they were doing the best they could and trying to get resources to stay alive. So she made allowances for it. Hephaestus does not make allowances for it. They're wrecking his machines. He's making these machines to do his job that he was made to do and they're wrecking them. So that's why they go hostile. The reason that the machines all went hostile right around the time Aloy was born is because Hephaestus is furious that they won't stop hunting them. Mm-hmm. That So I wanted to put that in there. That's just one consequence of one of the subordinate AIs who isn't Hades. And we know the others are all out there too, all doing stuff. But we don't know who sent that message. Silence wants to know who sent it. I have my suspicions, but... <laughs> I don't uh, think we have time for that. I don't think we have that time. But that that is a a rather brief uh overview. Oh yeah, we we boiled this we, down. Guys. We had to. We could be here for a long time. There's a lot in this game and this is this is one of those games that I will highly recommend that you if you get a chance take the time to play it. If you but Don't just don't just take the time to play it. If you play it, take the time. Play it. Yes. Yeah, don't don't just go in and play it and go, "Okay, I'm going to just get to the end." No. Absolutely do not do that. Explore everything. Pretend that this is a well-made Bethesda game. Like, you know how Bethesda games are always really cool after like several years of patches? Mm-hmm. Imagine you got a game that does not need several years of patches. It's just good. That's what this is. 
just just go go everywhere uh every time you see something that even remotely interests you go over there uh go ahead and find that weird set of armor that's like in a cave that you have to do all this crazy stuff to unlock you it's definitely worth doing all the crazy stuff to unlock it read everything yeah read everything interact with everything it's one watch of watch all the videos watch, watch all, all the videos, videos. There's tons of videos to yeah. watch watch them it, it, it is honestly something that i would recommend you take the time especially um this is one of those rare instances like normally i won't tell somebody if you plan on playing the sequel you know play the original because generally the sequel will kind of catch you up this is one of those rare instances where i'm sure the sequel will catch you up or do its best to do so to welcome players that haven't played it before but this is one of those things where i think it might be best served if you have the time and the the gumption to sit down and play the original game it's Usually very reasonably priced. Uh, it is available on PC as well as the PlayStation, uh, PS4 and PS5. Um, it looks absolutely gorgeous in on the PS5. Like I've I redownloaded it to play through it again, and uploaded it to or up upscaled it to 4K, and it is an absolutely jaw dropping game for something that came out in 2017. Yeah, uh, it absolutely is. And it's like that. Apparently, it's like that on PC as well. I don't know. But even on the janky PS4, and I'll just say this: if PS4 it was gorgeous was janky, on the PS4. Yes, even on the janky PS4, it's gorgeous. I mean, I'm I only own a PS4 because I wanted to play this game in God of War, and I didn't end up liking God of War that much. I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't really it didn't grab me. But this game grabbed me. Like, oh my god, this game was worth the price of getting a PS4. Yeah, um, and I, I will I will echo that. But just all that to say, if you have the the, the, the time and the opportunity. Sit down and give this game a play. It's well worth your time. You get a lot of gameplay out of it for a very cheap price at and, this point. Yeah, and there's characters we're not even mentioning. Like we didn't really talk about a rend very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we barely, barely mentioned the uh, the whole Sundom King thing, which is a which is a character who is pretty fascinating, and he's voiced by Joss Keaton. Yes. Uh, so Anduin, you, you, when you hear Anduin talking, you know, macking on this girl, and she's like, "I have no time for you." It's quite funny. Um, <laughs> there's just there is so much in this. Uh, so many characters. Sometimes they're they're characters who learn from their experiences, like 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 Lanza does. Sometimes it's just just for finding out. You you get to find out why Rost was in exile, and right there, that quest, which is completely not related to the storyline at all, it's just something that that you can have Aloy do. It's it's, it's enormous. It's it's great. It's just a wonderful. The, the whole thing is good. But I'm gonna have to shut up. My, I'm gonna forcibly make myself shut up now, so we can leave. Because otherwise, we'll just we're gonna be going. here for a while. Uh, but thank you very much, folks. Thanks for all of you that recommended that we we do an episode on Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, hopefully, this has satisfied at least some of your curiosities. Uh, and as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/slash/BlizzardWatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcasts, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And as always, I do want to remind you that Blizzard Watch stands with the employees of Activision Blizzard, as well as all game companies out there, in demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer work environment for the employees. Uh, But thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week.